Hello, welcome to From the Rick My name is John. With me is Mike. Hi. Jason. Hello there. Uh, and we're backstage at uh, the Watford Palace Theatre because it's Tales from the Vicarage Live with uh, Adam Leventhal on stage uh, this evening with Nigel Callahan, Andy Hess and Tyler, Micah Hyde and John Eustace. In this podcast, we're going to hopefully uh, catch a few minutes with each one of the guys. But we're, we're a week on, Mike, uh, since that uh, great, great quarterfinal win against Crystal Palace. And uh, we didn't know then, but we know now we're playing Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, I'm going to say this was my probably my preferred draw. Brighton, we haven't played great games against Brighton, especially away from, from Vicarage Road over the last couple of years. They've been quite dire and quite boring. Mm-hmm. Manchester City was sort of looking forward to it a little way because we did a good 45 minutes against them uh, and then certain decisions got in our way. And I want to say, yeah, actually, could we push them a bit more, especially after a, such a positive first half away at them? But Wolves are going to be, I think, the, the closest game, probably the, the most entertaining game to watch. From a footballing point of view, I think it's the right draw, yeah. I think the neutrals will enjoy it because I don't think either team will sit back. I think it will be cagey, but not as cagey as, as, as football supporters we've had to watch in these semi-finals. You know, Liverpool, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea, desperate not to lose. And I think there will be an element of that, but you're right. Yeah, Man City, we wanted to avoid at all costs for obvious reasons. Brighton would have just sit back and made it very, very difficult. I think Watford and Wolves, 7th and 8th in the Premier League, both turning in some decent performances. It's another, it's a, I, I see it very similar as the Crystal Palace game, flip of a coin, could go either way, but that's what you want going into an FA Cup semi-final. If it had been Man City, you're going to enjoy the day. Here we're going, hoping, dreaming of an FA Cup final. And I think it might even be a good game. We won't care about that, obviously, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think for the, probably the TV bosses will, be, will be, be looking forward to it. It could be one of those rare things, an entertaining FA Cup semi-final. Jason, we've, you got your ticket? I've got my ticket. Did you have long time getting your ticket? Uh, well, I, I waited. I was I was patient. I waited until the evening, but I had to um, perform some shenanigans just to make sure we could get uh, ten tickets together. So the limit was changed to nine earlier the, the, in that day. I think I ended up putting ten in my basket when my father-in-law on the other end of the phone <laughs> delete two off the bottom. We go, 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 go. And, <laughs> and he got them. And, and we managed to get ten together, so we're happy. Oh, well done. Ticketmaster didn't uh, paint them, uh, do themselves any justice uh, in the in the day. No change there. Don't get me started on that mob. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> yes, I'd really dislike Ticketmaster. I think I think they're a, I think they're a pretty poor organisation. But I think I also think you need to defend Watford in this sort of situation. I mm. understand from a supporters' point of view the clamour to get tickets. You want to sit with your mates. You want to get the best possible view. And I think people tend to get a little bit, dare I say, overexcited. Um, and I know when you're sitting in front of that grey wheel of death and you're getting kicked out. This is the voice of a man who's not going to the FA Cup <laughs> yeah, exactly. what did you have to wait for you the stress but I think bottom line is you're always going to end up with a ticket yeah. you're always going to end up sitting next to someone you want to sit next to and I think the thing that not ticked me off but I was a little bit unsure of was the was the level of vitriol to Watford for giving season ticket holders two seats and I think that's I thought that was perfectly reasonable I think Watford have made it very clear that they view season ticket holders as the um, these are the guys and, and girls that are putting up front three, four, five hundred quid at the start of the season every year. They're committing. Of course, people go home and away. They can't always commit to a season ticket, but that's just the way it is. They are the people who are there week in, week out, putting the money up front. So I think it's right that Watford recognise that. Um, and people saying, oh, yeah, they're going to be bringing their Arsenal supporting, mate, they're going to be doing this. I'm, I'm not being funny. But Arsenal supporters aren't going to want to pay 65 quid to go and watch Watford. <laughs> so I think everyone needs to take... The, the whole Ticketmaster thing was an abomination. It was obviously disastrous. But I think Watford's ticketing policy, if you, if you take a deep breath, take a step back and look at why they're doing it, what they're trying to achieve, I think, I think Watford got it right and I think they got some un, undue criticism there. Hopefully everyone got the tickets they need. Like I say, it's easy for me, old smug boy over here, not, not going... Um, but I, I think everyone will end up with a seat. They'll end up, everyone will sit next to who they want to be sat next to. Um, and I think sometimes we need to uh, take a step back. So Ticketmaster, boo. Watford, I think, did the right thing. Yeah. Jason, um, tonight, let's go back to tonight, though. You know, we've got these four uh, ex-Watford uh, players, all played a significant role at some point or another during the last 40 years. Who, who do you think you're, you're most looking forward to, to hearing from? Probably Cali, because that's sort of going back to when I first started going to watch Watford back in the, uh, in the early 80s. So I'm sort of keen to see what his memories of those times are, because being so long ago and being a child at the time, I thought everything was... Uh, well, seeing everything through yellow tinted glasses back then, I, perhaps things uh, aren't quite as I remember them. So hearing from him what it was like on the pitch back in those days, uh, the rises through the divisions, I'm, I'm 
keen to hear what he's got to say. Yeah, we also chat to uh, Andy Hess and Tyler. Of course, we had a, a series of uh, catching up with over the last uh, last summer, uh, where Lana Burney had a, a very long chat with him, which you can still listen to, but we'll try and get a bit of time with him as well. Uh, Micah Hyde, well, a lot of us saw him at the uh, 99 reunion uh, event, and we'd like to see how he feels after after that. Uh, certainly, you'll stand out for me on that evening. Uh, and then Mike, of course, uh, you get to see... Uh, Anyone who's been listening to the podcast the last uh, nine, ten seasons, especially the early few years, John Eustace. Looking forward to it? John, John who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is uh, well documented. The, uh, the troubles in my, well, not, we're not married, but the troubles in the relationship that John Eustace has caused over the years. Uh, instead of uh, wallpaper, I have photos of, uh, of John Eustace. Um, I tried internet searches for his phone number, all this sort of stuff. Uh, ceaseless uh, emails to... Uh, yeah, great to talk to John Eustace. I thought he was a, a fabulous servant for Watford. I loved watching him. Um, huge fan. Um, I think he was brilliant for us. Really important. Um, good footballer. Interesting story. So, yeah, absolutely. I'll try not to embarrass myself <laughs> in front of uh, what is basically the most handsome man ever to walk, walk the planet. <laughs> we'll also chat to Adam afterwards. Uh, busy at the moment uh, before the event starts, uh, getting everything ready. And uh, we'll see how he feels. And also the, the, the upcoming event, uh, the next Tales of the Vicarage event uh, with a slightly Northern Ireland theme uh, in a few weeks' time. So we'll, we'll do that and, and listen to some of these players. But here they come, uh, our chats with a medley of Watford midfield maestros. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans. for Watford fans from the rookery end. Up first, Nigel Callaghan. You've just been uh, finished on stage, Nigel. How was that? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Loved it. Is it, is it normal? You know, you're, you're a man who does perform in front of crowds quite regularly. Uh, how, how was it though seeing a, a Watford crowd again? crowd I play in front of, like, they come for the music and the drinks. But yeah, it's, it's Watford through and through and um, reliving some of the stories and the memories. And it's just great, you know, it's sort of like everything to do with Watford, you know, with my career got fond memories and you come back here and you get a reception like that it's brilliant what I've asked before we carry on how are you is everything alright um, yeah I'm well at the moment <laughs> I'm still alive <laughs> I've had the cancer I'm, I'm clear of that I've been like six years now so I'm okay touch wood yeah health wise am I right? Good, glad to hear it because obviously Watford fans, incredible memories of, of your time at Watford. And what I always think about when I think about you, I watch you playing and I think you probably don't get the credit you deserve because obviously playing with, with John and, yeah. and, and, and Luther was banging the goals in. And when you, it just brings it into such sharp focus, seeing you in action, scoring goals, drifting down the wing, beating men. Do you feel like that you got the credit you deserved at that time? Um, I I think the fans were with me, but they were more vocal for players like Barnsley, and because Barnsley had come into the side, and I think like because I was homegrown, um, they never really sort of got behind me as much as they got behind Barnsley. But I think um, when I put in for my transfer request, um, and I think some people realised that I might be going, then. They got me. They got behind me after that. And but the, the Watford crowd have always been good with me. It's, you know, probably you don't get the recognition that you do. Like Barnsley was a flair player, and um, and I was you know like end products across. You know, if I don't need to beat the player, I'll just get the cross in. And so we were two different players. You know, John was John was different from me. And that, and I think that was that was what so was so good for Watford because you had two different wingers. You know, like. Players used to say, you know, people used to say that played against me, say, well, I couldn't get near you because if I stood off you, you just put the ball in. If I got near you, you whipped it around me. And But John would go at her and John would beat him and the crowd loved it when the player beats him. And uh, I don't mind. I mean, like, you know, I, I think the Watford crowd were as good to me as any crowd have been so I've got no complaints about that I think you're probably doing yourself a bit of a disservice you could beat a man but there's a, there's a game that's on TV quite a lot uh, do you know which one it is it gets repeated a lot I don't know it's a Notts County game yeah. <laughs> Notts County yeah and it just I mean what those, you scored two goals in that game I think absolute uh, absolute beauties weren't well, they I should have had a hat trick <laughs> I missed one inside the box uh, over the bar but yeah I mean like um, that, that goal that I got in Notts County was goal, goal in the month on match of the day and I thought I've got a good chance of winning this and then Danny Wallace popped up for Southampton with that overhead kick but I, I always used to score goals outside the box I never got tappings with getting the goals that I got people I always used to remember them goals the Notts County one always comes up the West Ham one every now and then people go but um, it's a shame that they, they never got any video footage of the Southampton game 
I, you know, yeah, I keep yeah. looking for that, but I don't think anybody got any footage of that. So I think there might be some grainy stuff on on YouTube. But if you had to name one, perhaps, because I mean, your time at Watford, it was a it was a glorious time, wasn't it? It was absolutely amazing. If you had to name one, perhaps one minute, one sort of real nugget of of moment where you felt your your happiest in a yellow shirt. Oh, I, I just said in there that there's, you know what? There's so many good memories of seven one. 8-0 against South uh, Sunderland and, you know, you got your FA Cup final. Yeah, we lost it, but then you got the Europe and... I probably, like, if, if I had to say what my best goal was, would have been the goal against Man City at home, like, you know, and um, there's not much footage on about that, but um, that's probably one of my best goals. But I think definitely the Southampton game's got to be the one where, you know, you're a young lad, you come on, first kick of the match, you go to top corner and then like, you're on the back of every tabloid paper in, in England like the next day. Because so, I, I remember, I was, I was 13th man for the Southampton game, the first leg, and there was only 12, you know, like one substitute in them days, and we lost 4-0, and I'm thinking, you know, like when you're not in the side, you sort of don't want the team to play too well, because otherwise <laughs> you're not going to get back in. But losing 4-0, I'm thinking, oh, that's it. And then like, Graham puts me 12th man on that match and then we go one nil up and, two, and all of a sudden like you're 5-1 at full time and the gates have opened and there's more people coming in than going out and <laughs> and then Ray Train gets concussion I come on the first goal well, there it is and so it's fairy tale stuff isn't it I mean you list all that stuff FA Cup final Europe Sunderland Southampton amazing times do, do you can you sit back and think Good God, that was amazing. Or did, was that just what it was at the time? Do you know what? The FA Cup, Cup final, there's certain players that are like your nemesis when you, like, and, and they're not the best players in the world, but other players seem to do well against them, but you can't do well. And John Bailey for Everton was one of my players. And so Cup final, we found, I mean, it wasn't my best performance and, and you're gutted about that. And it was great getting to the Cup final, but nobody, you know, no one likes to lose it. And uh, But the, the saving grace for me was like um, four days later, I think, I played in the under-21 Cup final against Spain. And I, I missed the first leg because it was a week before the Cup final. Um, and I set up the goal for Mark Haley and we won that. So, you know, t- to this day, we're, we're the only team that's won a major trophy for England up until now but so I, at least I've got that you know and that year was a big year FA Cup final UA for under 21s you look back on things and you just think I'm not done bad because there's certain players that internationals like Schultz and certain players that they get a great career but they haven't hit, had a cup final they haven't played in that and and, and so I, I've done all right out of it you know like you can't you look back on your career and you go I, I've done all right I could have done with more money. The wages, they, <laughs> the wages they're getting now, I could yeah, have done yeah, it. Yeah. So I'm trying to work out what Graham would have offered me in a contract. Probably would have given me two grand a week, Graham. Like. <laughs> so talking about Graham, Graham was very much about Watford being part of the community. And obviously with your DJing skills, um, you got involved in the Junior Hornet discos. Was that, was that a Graham thing? Graham knew about me doing discos. And I never used to do them any day apart from Saturday night when football's over just got keen on on doing it and I was interested I actually went over to Wickham with a friend of mine who was a DJ at Bailey's at the time and he was running um, an under 16's night over there and it was packed and I thought do you know what there's, there's nowhere in Watford doing anything for under 16's and so I approached a few schools said can I put these posters up and I, I decided I was going to run it it's 50p to get in but it was a disco for kids I got some doorman got got everything we need and it worked really well obviously like after that the, the junior hornets thing come up and so it was just basically I mean it became it became, became really good but I, I couldn't carry on with it it was too, just too much but um, that was how it all started and then I ended up sort of like playing a few tunes over, over in Leighton Buzzard which was like Luton area <laughs> I, I wanted to get interested in it and people used to go oh I don't only dancing because you're a footballer and uh, but it was, it was just a, it was just a hobby for me at the time and you know and, and like I said Graham knew about it when I went to Derby I told Arthur that I, I was into the DJ and he, and he didn't have a problem with it so you know like we you get the rule it's 48 hours before game no licensed premises no so that was what you stuck to and for Saturday nights is you know, I'd go, I'd go out in Derby and DJ, and the only difference between me and the other lads was I'd be 
putting the music on and they'll be at the bar drinking. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned FA Cup final, Watford in the FA Cup semi final. Um, what's that like? And, and you know, is there is there something that you you sort of advise the current players that in terms of pre- preparing for massive games like this? They're not just a big game against Man United, which you know we're playing in you know this weekend coming up, but they're FA Cup games that can make you a legend. You know, is there something you would you advise them before that game? I think it's changed the way that preparations is done for cup finals now I mean I uh, back in our day you used to have the press and the TV cameras at your training ground every day and the week went really quick and I we had Barrymore down in our hotel for they had Freddie Starr and that don't seem to happen now like you know and you get filmed going along Wembley way so the thing the thing is you you've just got to enjoy it because after 90 minutes if you lost <laughs> it's not a nice feeling um, but you have to you have to savour the fact that I mean you're at Wembley and like I said to you there's a lot of players that are great players have, have a long career but some of them never even get to play at Wembley so you know that, that's the thing I'd, I'd take from it I'd like, I'd like to ask you about a current player Nigel and feel free not to answer it but Gerard Denefeu I think he you, the way you describe your play the, the way you played just get the ball in no need to beat a man just just get it in and let the defenders worry about it that way it strikes me that perhaps uh, Denefeu would be better used that way because when he's one on one perhaps he has too much time to think about it what do, what do you think about the way he's, he's playing at the moment and how he's used um, I don't know it's difficult because like we were sort of well winged machine you know like um, Les Taylor and Kenny Jacket were in midfield they were like the ball winners they were the engine room they got the ball they fed me and Barnsley um, your two centre forwards they knew when me and Barnsley got the ball out wide they knew they were going to make their runs into the box because we were going to deliver um, so everything was like you knew what was going to happen. Um, now it's it's a little bit different, you know. Like sometimes, in, you know, there's a lot of individuals in, in teams at the moment. And, and, but he's he's a quality player to fail. I mean, like, and and the thing you've got to you've got to realise with players that are flair players and quality players, you know, like people like Matt Latissier, you've got to realise that they can't do it every week. And like, them flashes of brilliance come because. It is a flash of brilliance, but you can't do that every week because if you if you done it every week, it'd be normal. Mm. So, you know, you have to. Uh, people called me lazy at Watford. They said I was a lazy player. I wasn't lazy. I just like I probably wouldn't run for a ball that's going out if I knew I couldn't get it. Uh, but you know, some players give the impression that they're not trying as hard as the others. But you just gotta. You, you can't have them players without the, the stuff that goes with it. If you know what I mean. Next, uh, let's head into the early 1990s. Uh, Andy Hessentyler. Uh, Andy, are you looking forward to uh, going back out in front of a Watford crowd? Yeah, I am, to be fair. And um, I did a book signing not long ago, around about Christmas time, and there's quite a few Watford fans turned up. So it was good to see them guys. And they brought some memorabilia shirts and programmes to sign. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. It's, uh, it's going to be good to see some people again. And things have changed a little bit at Watford since your, since your day. Can you say... What's the one thing that's changed the most, apart from money, at Watford since you were there? That'd be the first thing we'd say. <laughs> I think just you know, I haven't actually believe it or not, I haven't been back to the ground for a long time. You know, and I've seen it on the telly, uh, but you see that the ground's completely changed now. It's got up to the stand of, of obviously a Premier League sta- stadium now, so that's a big change. In our time, it was obviously the, the owners uh, at that time. It was Jack Petchy, he, he, he owned the club, and obviously Sir Elton was our, our chairman. So. Um, you know, I mean, foreign owners in now, which is pretty much in football now, isn't it? So um, there's a big change. But yeah, the club's massive now, isn't it? You know, being in the in the top league, and what's great is they're doing well. They're, they're competing, aren't they? They're up there in, in, in you know, obviously the FA Cup semi final as well. So uh, it all bodes well for the football club. They're you know they're a great place at the moment. You were a bit of a hero, I think, at Watford at, at the time. You were really important. You were a really important player for Watford. Uh, we missed you when you're injured. You played a lot of games. So. You're up there as, a, as an important player for, for Watford, but probably you see your career more as a, as a Gillingham man. Is that fair? How do you, so how would you look back on your, your time at Watford? Do you remember it probably as fondly as we remember you? Oh, yeah, massively. We were just talking about that in there, really. I mean, the, the, the day I left was... Uh, and, and 
I left uh, at the end of the season and then ended up going to Gillingham pre-season, but nothing was confirmed because um, it had to go to the tribunal. Uh, and um, the, the day the tribunal it came out, I think it was um, it was 235000 that Gillingham had to pay. I got back in the car and Tony Pulis said, um, I've just had a phone call from the chairman, you're going back to Watford, you can't, we're not paying it. Um, which wouldn't have been a problem to me because, I, you know, even though I'd missed all pre-season, I'd done it with Gillingham and, it, you know, it's like I'm going back because... But the more I think about it, um, I was probably deep down hasty leaving. I think I should have stuck it out. I mean, it, it, I, you know, I, I've told the story. I, I sat down with, uh, with Graham and uh, we talked about a contract and he slid a bit of paper across to me and I looked at... He said, take it away, show your agent. You know, we all have... We, we start... Agents were in the game then as well, but I didn't really need one at my age, but it's always, you know, great to have a bit of advice from somebody. But I didn't use the agent. I just looked at a bit of paper straight away and I didn't take it with me. I just slid it back across the table. <laughs> <laughs> and in hindsight, I should have been... I should have, I should have taken more time. Um, but at that stage, it was Charlton were very interested at, at, at that stage. But because the Bosman ruling wasn't in, they wouldn't, wasn't prepared to pay the, you know, take a risk on the tribunal, of, you know, for a thirty-year-old at that stage, you know. So, um, but a little bit of regret there. That perhaps I should have stayed. Um, but I had a wonderful time. The, the time I was there, one. Yes, I spent most of my career at Gillingham, but you know, I'll never forget these memories. You know, this is where it all started for me as a as a pro and. Uh, you know, leaving Dagenham, Redbridge Forest at the time and uh, getting the opportunity, thinking, am I going to be good enough? You know, I've got to make, I've got to show some of these people, Peter Nicholas's and Trevor Putney's of this world and, you know, some of these big names that were at um, Gary Porter, Nigel Gibbs and go through them. They, they're all established players and, and been professional, been at big clubs. I'm coming out of non-league. So, so it was a little, I was very nervous. I remember the, the first week of turning up the training. I think, you know, the lads sort of, looking at me, he's come out in non-league here, is he going to be good enough type of thing? So I had to prove my worth, and I, you know, in the end, I felt I did that. You talk about uh, playing in non-league, was it sort of ever in your mind that you were going to be a pro? Was it your you, you goal, your ambition, or were you just sort of playing semi-pro football, thinking this is this is where I'm going to be? Yeah, I, mean, I always had it in my mind that I, could, I, could, I wanted to be a professional. I think one day, hopefully, it will happen, but uh, when you start getting to 24, 25... You're thinking, blimey, this is not going to happen, you know. I needed a break, and fortunately that break was with Peter Taylor because obviously he was uh, Steve Perriman's assistant manager. I'd worked under Peter uh, at Dartford um, and then got that call, he, uh, you know, and he said, do, you know, do you want to, do you still fancy being a, a pro? And straight away, yes, you know. I was in the building trade, I, I had a trade, um, but the opportunity to go and, you know, have a go at being a professional footballer, I, I, I say I jumped here. But it was a little bit of interest when I was 20, 21, but um, I don't think I was good enough then. I think it, it took me that age to, to become good enough to be, to be a professional and, and then I had to go and prove it at Watford and, you know, it turned out great for me. The, the thing is, like you say, when you said you, maybe looking back, but you weren't ready, there were thousands of boys playing football and there were, you know, Hundreds who are part of these top top, you know, teams um, academies. Surely they're not ready yet. And, and uh, do you feel like footballers are getting rushed too quickly into into having to prove themselves these days? I think for me, with the non-league football, I mean, look, you see now a lot of players, younger players, going out and playing non-league football to be to see what it's like and to become men because they have to become men. I think you, you're right. You, you do get they're rushing these players in, in into. Uh, to be in players and it, it does take a little bit of time and what I would say to any youngster you know and I know it doesn't happen so much now players get, you know, turning pro at sort of 25, 26 but there's more and more uh, teams out you know the professional teams that are taking non-league players now I think it's uh, it's a market especially the lower league teams you, you know I'm, so I'm talking you know more so the, the, the league one league two they're looking at t- uh, uh, players in the non-league scene now so Players are pressurised and, and rushed through at times, and you know they aren't ready. They, they, and that's why they need to get a bit of an upbringing, really, for me, and let them go out and, and see what it's like. I mean, we've, you know, I'm down at Dover now, managing down there. I was at Eastley, but we got, we've got, we've had two Tottenham. Tottenham sent two players into me just through, through Nigel Gibbs. Nigel was at worked for, at Tottenham, and um, they asked me to just let these two youngsters come in and see what it's like at, at, um, at our level, really, because they get spoiled, don't they? You know, so it's been interesting for the two kids that have come in and they've done great. But hopefully, they've gone away and thought, "Blimey, this is if this is what it's like. I want to, 
I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm in the attitudes right and I can go on and push to, to try and get in Tottenham's team. A little bit about your time at, <coughs> at Watford. Uh, Watford fans won't forgive us if we don't ask you about that. So you, you'd said you had to prove yourself. You're perhaps a little bit nervous going in. Can you tell us what that dressing room was like when you when you signed for Watford? What was the feeling like then? It was good characters, big characters. Peter Nicholas was a big character. Trevor Putney was a massive character. who become a good friend of mine and still a friend of mine now. We speak a lot. He lives in Spain, but uh, we I've been out to see him. But uh, you know, N- Nigel Gibbs. Who, who knew, I knew Nigel. Didn't know Nigel, but knew what Nigel was about and. Obviously, proper gentleman and Mr. Watford type of thing, wasn't he? You know, and uh, he had a fantastic career. A bit daunting, really. I, I suppose because I was 20, 20, what, 20 25, nearly 26. Um, I think if I'd have been t- 19, 20, I think it'd have been even harder. But at least I had some sort of experience, not at that level, but around, around players. And obviously, being in the dressing rooms, even at non league level, the, the camaraderie and the, and the togetherness is, is fantastic. And you could feel that straight away with, it, with that group, you know. And, uh, and, and they made me feel really welcome, I've got to say. Like I say, it was it, their characters. There was a lot of, uh, lot of ribbing going on. You know, David James was there at the time. J-Mo, he was a youngster and coming through. And obviously, he was playing. And lots of talk of him going, going to Liverpool. And, you know, so some real good youngsters there as well at the time. But... Um, it was it was it was it was daunting. As I say, the first game that I played was um, well, the first game I went to was Brighton away, and I was um, I think I was I think I was yeah I was I was wasn't sub I was I was thirteenth man. I can't remember how many subs about that in then. I think it was three, three, three subs. I think it was. So I was just really there to get the experience with the lads at Brighton, and uh, I remember we 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 won the game great. Steve Butler scored and one uh, nil, and then we had Everton away in the in the cup. I was playing. He, he put Steve put me in. I, I just couldn't believe it. You know, going to, going to Goodison Park, likes of Kevin Sheedy, Peter Beardsley, and I'm, I'm, I'm being thrown in. But I was thrown in at right back, and I've never played right back before. <laughs> so I was like, is it, where, "What am I playing right back?" But I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to be arguing with the manager. I've got an opportunity. So, but it went okay. We, we, we didn't. We didn't. It was over two legs. We, I can't remember the final score, but we, we went out obviously on the two legs. Um, and then on the Saturday we played Charlton at home, and uh, it was a league game, and I made my debut, and scored. So it was uh, it was a great start for me. And uh, you know, when them sort of things happen, it's, you you actually feel you've you're starting to you know players are starting to realise hey, listen, this lad can 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 cut it at this level, you know. Was there a moment? Was there a particular game where you felt right? I'm a professional. I'm a Watford player, and you felt really comfortable. Was there a particular moment? I think as it went on, I mean, that was a big thing for me, that first home debut, you know, coming out of Long League. I got proved to, to, not just to myself, to, to the players, the manager, who put faith in me, Peter Taylor, obviously, and the fans, because the fans were looking, it was come out of Long League, you know, is he going to be good enough? So um, that first game was, you know, gave, gave me a lot of confidence to, to be able to, you know, win the game 2-0, score and uh, and go well. So I think just that gradually as it went along, it was it, it became easier for me and... Uh, you know, it didn't take, I've got to say, it didn't take me long to really settle in, I've got to say, to be fair, not all the characters we had, so. Did, as, as your career went on, did the Terry songs get any better? Did they improve on Oot, Ah, Hess and Tyler? <laughs> no, that was the only one, to be fair. <laughs> I think with my second name, it's a nightmare, isn't it? I don't know what else they could have. Uh, but um, I did, I've, you know, I've been, it's, it's great because you, for them to be singing your name and obviously, like I said, where you've come from and, uh, you know, they they've sort of taken me into their hearts, really, the fans, and uh, and they they knew what I was about. I mean, I, I wasn't the most gifted player, but what I did do is, you know, if I was having a bad day with a ball, I never stopped running. I kept going, you know, and uh, and I think that's what fans like, don't they? they that's what they want. Yeah, yeah. They want players. They want players to graph and for ninety minutes and wear the shirt with pride. And I felt that's that's what I did, you know, for, for every every time I put a shirt on. I was say, is there any particular game or moment that stands out in your time at Watford? I think the Leeds game in the cup when we beat Leeds, that was tremendous. With, with what Leeds won, the, obviously, the league that year, didn't they? And that team was phenomenal, wasn't it? The likes of, you know, Stratton, obviously, the late Gary Speed, Canton I was playing, he missed a chance after a minute. Um, you know, uh, Gary, I think Gary McAllister was playing. There were so many names in that team. To beat them that night was, uh, was, 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 was a tremendous, tremendous achievement. And, you know, that, that's one that sticks in my memory more than anything, you know. What's the one thing you thought of you, you you got at Watford that you sort of kept with you over the years? Um, I think just um, the club itself. You know, the fans were absolutely outstanding from from the day I walked in, and even though that I left a little bit under a club, you know, which 
you know, I think if you read the book and and, and I've just said to you about the, the story, really, I was a little bit hasty, but I just didn't feel the contract was right at the time. Um, but I got, you know, let's say, left a little bit. But, you know, the one thing over the years, of, you know, when I've met Watford fans afterwards, it's always the... They talk about what I did with the time that I was there, you know, not when I left, you know. So they, they've been, they're f- fantastic. And I'll always remember. But I think just because it was my first professional club, I'll never forget that. And, they, they, you know, that club has given me the opportunity to have the career I had in the end. And uh, I was fortunate to go on and uh, play quite a lot of games and, uh, and, and retired at a late age of about, I think it was 41 when I f- to retired at Barnet. So, you know, that for me, that's that, that's got to be... F- what, what Watford did for me and uh, you know so it'll always be in my heart so I'll never forget that We're the Orns you're the Orns Come on you Orns Go on a few years uh, to the end of the 1990s uh, uh, with the 99 promotion winning side Micah Hyde So Micah you're, you're about to go out in front of the Watford crowd you, you had the eventual Christmas with the reunion of 99 yeah. uh, but they're uh, you know it's a, it's a proper big well, not quite a stadium, but it's a big crowd. Are you looking forward to it? Yeah, absolutely. I always love coming back to Watford, so yeah, for sure I'm looking forward to it. We're talking before you've been out there. If there's a particular story you'd want to tell about your time at Watford, what will it be? What do you hope Adam asks you about? I know what Adam will ask me about. He's going <laughs> to ask me about the Charlie. Charlie's on a photo at Warsaw, so yeah, that'll be interesting to bring that back up again. Me and Charlie, we had a f- team photo at the beginning of the season. I can't remember what season it was, to be honest with you. But you know, you do a photo at the beginning of the season, and we sat in the front, me and Charlie, and everyone really got on really well. Me and Charlie got on really well. Coincidentally, and we sat next to each other, and I put my hand on his knee, and he put his hand on my knee. So it looked like he had a black hand, and I had a white hand. No problem. They went and took the photos. Gaffer must have saw the photos. He went ballistic. Apparently, he went ballistic. Said it cost X amount of money for Watford to produce them, and blah 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 blah. The next day we had a game. So the next day we played Walsall pre-season. We played Walsall away. Played the game, everything's fine. Then I can't remember what the score was or anything like that. Played the game, we're at the back of the bus, me and Charlie, as we usually are, with the rest of the boys having a bit of banter before it's time to go. Because the gaffer normally comes on after anyway, because he, he talks to other managers and whatnot. That's normally the routine, all the players are running and the staff coming after, everyone's on the bus. Then we leave. And so you don't want to be on the, you don't want the staff to be on a bus and you're not on the bus and they're waiting for you. <laughs> you don't want that. So, he's, they always, so we was on the bus and then Kenny's come on the back, walked to the back and said, oh, the gaffer wants to see you two in the changing room. Nonchalantly, no, no problem. OK, cool. Gone to get off the bus and he said, no, just get off the back because there's two entrances. So just get off the back, just get off there. So he staff sort of blocked us going down the bus. <laughs> I mean, he's half blocked us going down there and said, like, just get off the back. So we got off the back. Graham's got on the front, Gaffer's got on the front, drove off and left us. That's it, <laughs> drove off and left us. That was what we'd done. We didn't know, we didn't, up, even to that point, we didn't know what we'd done. We thought we'd just banter. Are oh, they going to stop in a minute? Left, went down the M1 and they went home. How'd you get home? Well, Charlie, we had, to, we had no uh, we had our phones on us, because if it was on the bus, we just got off of the bus, we had our tracksuits on, so we had nothing on us. So we had to phone and get a taxi and then pay for, get the taxi paid for at that end so we'd come and take us all the way home back to London. So there you go. Mike, Micah Hines, lessons in football. Don't touch other footballers' oh, knees no. doing a team, <laughs> team photo. We made think, there was a good thing that came out of it, though, because the team stood up for us. And the team oh, meeting the next day, when Graham went mad at us and, that, and told us why he did it and explained why he'd done it, the, the team kind of said, well... It's a bit harsh leaving them when they go far, but it's interesting you mentioned that team spirit, Michael. We were we were there at that reunion event, and um, I think it's fair to say it was an emotional night, right? And Absolutely. and and that was great to us for us to see as supporters because that that obviously means a lot to us. We were, we were old enough to be there, and it lives long in the memory. We can you know just talking about it now, we get goosebumps. And I think from our point of view, seeing you get quite emotional about it was quite rewarding for us because it because it felt like it meant as much to you as it did to us. Is is that fair? I haven't had a chance to speak to probably how I really felt at the time because when you live, you do something at a time, you do it. You can't really relive it, can you? Because you're doing it. It's in a moment. And I haven't had a chance to come back and relive them that experience. It's only when I was there, it really dawned on me how happy we made people feel and how happy people made me feel, if that makes sense. How happy the people I was around made me feel and how happy that happy we was able to project that in that season. I never felt that before until I was actually... I knew I'd be a dandy and all that, and you came on through life, you have kids, and you go through life, and other things happen, and other episodes in your life evolve. But with that one, it, I act, like now, now, now it really resonates in me now because of that. So that's the reason why I probably was so emotional because I never had a chance to talk to the Watford fans properly. You do little snippets here and there, but not properly like I had to embrace everybody again and embrace my teammates, which is important. 
And I think, yeah, you're right, spot on. I was emotional. That's the first time I've had to re- like, relive that moment. That was 20 years ago. That's the first time I had to really think about it. I looked for the programmes, things that I didn't even know. I was looking for the programme and I was, did, I, did we do this? Did, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realise the games I played. and You know, you just didn't realise it at the time because it was, it was insignificant at the time. Probably still a little bit insignificant now, if you ask me, because it's gone. But at the same time, it's still something that really resonates to me. And it was really emotional. And I enjoyed it immensely. You struck up a great partnership with Jono while you were at Watford in the centre midfield there. What was it about the two of you that, that meant you played so well together? Personality. Go on, go on. Personality, I'd say. If I wouldn't say it's anything to do with anything other than his personality, he's a professional footballer and I was a professional footballer. And we're all professionals, so everyone's got a bit of ability, somewhat. So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the football thing. It was the personality, how he was and how I was. Um, if you bring them two mixes together, it's a, it was a fierce combination because John was John was fierce in his own way, and I was a fierce competitor in my own way. So if you got two people that got on, that's what that's what that was. His personality when we got on off the pitch as well, we, had, we didn't have to talk to each other to understand each other. So he understood when I was a little bit peed off, and I understood doing he was a little bit peed off, and we could just bounce off each other like that. So yeah. But you, were you close off? The pitch, yeah, did you socialise off off it, or was it just there? Yeah, yeah. No. yeah, we was close okay. off the pitch. We was, we was close off the pitch. There is a story that I wouldn't really like to tell about what <laughs> about what happened. We was at a we was at a do, one of the Christmas do's it was, and the season do's, and I had a good season. And we've had a few, had a few victory drinks. So me and John, I was like we're so close. So we're all standing around like we are nine or four. His missus and my missus and John, and we were having a chat, and we've had a few, and I couldn't help it. I couldn't. <laughs> I threw up on his missus. <laughs> <laughs> all over Vivian Westwood dress. So uh, if he was not friends, she said it's Vivian Westwood. So if, if he was not friends, and I don't think we'd be talking now, but that shows how tight it was. That I could actually throw up his missus in front of him, in front of my missus, and get away with it. So yeah, so that that was a pleasant, if you could call it a pleasant memory. It's a pleasant memory that we had together. Yeah, so we got. You suffered obviously with injury yourself as well. How was how hard did that hit you? Because obviously you were in amazing form at the time, and and Watford were purring, and it just yeah. How was it? How how do you deal with that as a professional? Uh, good question. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably the people around you, I suppose, support network around you. Intrinsically as well, you have to understand yourself. You have to be to overcome. So you have to have a lot of self belief. And I was fortunate at the time I was at Watford. I didn't really suffer any injuries, so to be injured wasn't a good thing. And any professional will probably tell you that. So you have to be resolute, get on with it, buckle down, work hard, and try and get back. And that's that's what I did. Or tried to do anyway. I'm not sure if I reached the heights when I did come back, but that's what I tried to do. Yeah. In your job now, you know, you're still in football. What is it particularly? What are the things that you you took from your time at Watford? Maybe stuff you took from Graham, maybe because of you know you know in a, uh, you're not a player anymore. You're sort of looking after them. What is it you think you t- you particularly take from your time at Watford? Everything from Graham. Everything. Everything um, as far as outside football. He taught me. You see, I I, I there's two things you can be as a football person delivering football to other people. One a coach or a teacher. Being a coach is a lot more self-rewarding um, for the person that's coaching. Being a teacher is a lot more sacrificial. It's, it's a lot more giving back. Graham taught me how to be a teacher now. I know how to teach. So when I coach, I don't coach. I teach, I teach the players. I give them the knowledge to understand what they're doing to become better. So they're just putting on drills. So Graham didn't do drills. Graham didn't coach. He never coached us. I've never been coached by Mr Taylor. I've never got coached by him. But he, sh- he, t- he, sh- he showed me how to understand myself and become a better person. Um, I had that before. My, my parents gave me that before. Graham just carried it on for me and it made me realise, well, this is fantastic because this person really into the mental side of things, how to make you better. So, yeah, that's, I'll take everything from Graham, everything. Um, more so than I'll take from any other manager I played for because he was very in tune to what I was in tune to. So that, tells me, that shows me that what we was in tune to is not unique. It's something that's amongst everybody. It's just whether you can connect with that person. And I connected with Graham because he was very much into the mental side of doing the best for you and going out there and competing and doing all these things, all the little sound bites that I could go on and cliches I could actually mention. But it was real because Graham was good at doing it. And um, yeah, that's, that's the, everything I do in my teaching. Like I said, I teach the kids. That's exactly what, from Graham, from Graham and being taught by him. So yeah, everything. Everything. Two, two main lessons. Don't obviously don't touch knees and don't be sick on your teammates. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 they're <laughs> if if Graham wasn't at Watford at that time, yeah. how do you think that team would have would have done? Do you, how much sort of self policing? How much self motivation went on? Because it was such a strong bond, wasn't it? If you take the, it was was it is it fair to say that team was more than the sum of its more than the sum of its parts, or has that been a bit harsh? No, not at all. 
Not, not at all. That's what he did. He, he took parts. I come from Cambridge. I think Peter Kennedy comes from somewhere. Jason Lee and Alan Hazan. We all come from somewhere. So we didn't come from established places. That's what I mean. We didn't come from established premiership teams at the time. We didn't come from established championship teams at the time. So he banged the, the summer and he made the whole. So yeah, absolutely what you're right. Spot on. If it wasn't for Graham, would we have been successful? No. No. He was, he's the person that guided us. But once he, he guided us, he let us go. So he, he, like I said, he didn't coach, he taught. So he taught me how to, he taught us how to stand up. He taught us how to be self-efficient. He taught us how to manage games. He taught us how to win. So these are important things, yeah. So without Graham, at that time, I'm not sure. There would have been someone else. Maybe they would have been successful, but it's highly unlikely because I can only talk for myself and he brought me and brought all these other parts to make the whole. So yeah, definitely. We were just uh, ordinary, ordinary, regular players, I'll say. But he made us believe we was more and... Hence the reason why we we became more and became successful and we came in and won and we've done the things. And these are the same things, messages that I teach the youth and people that I come across about understanding what you need to do. Because like I said, I was just a part. I was never, a, you know, never no one that came in and made any magnificent difference or anything. I just come in with a team that he put together. So I was a small part. So if you can be a small part in a big wheel, that wheel will keep turning. That's what I keep trying to tell these people. So yeah, Graham, Graham was very, um, like I said, anyone that I speak to about football, I'll always resonate to my time there and what I learned there. Although I learned loads of different things, you can only put it together what you actually learn. Once you've learned something from one person, another person then to equate and say, well, that was good and that was good and that was a little bit better and that was not so good and you dismiss things. Hence the reason why you spoke about the 20 year ago thing. It, these things come into your head after, after you learn these things after. And I learned them at the time. I was fortunate because I was susceptible to it. I was, when I went to Watford, I was already into mind over matter. I was, in, I was really into that sort of form of training, basically. I was really into that, so with Graham, it was good. Then he brought a guy called Kieran Grosgrove, and he was, again, magnificent for us. For me especially, personally, again, he was someone that I had a lot of time for and had a lot of time for me. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a good thing. Promo- promotions aside, mm. the one favourite moment in a yellow shirt or a away shirt? Um, when I probably, when I, when I scored, I scored a goal, I wasn't... Probably didn't score enough for for, for uh, the Watford fans would probably say, and I probably agree. I probably didn't score enough when I played for Watford, but I did score one goal. And it coincided with the birth of my son. I think we was also in the playoffs that time. I think we beat Bolton to to cement our place in the playoffs. I believe before we went into Birmingham. So that time, and then we all done a celebration. It wasn't planned either. That was, that was another beauty of it. So I done a celebration, and the, the teammates all come and joined, and I've got photos of it and that. So that was probably my standout moment for me. I have all the moments. That and actually getting to the Premiership was probably the most standout thing. And uh, almost bang up to date, the youngest of the quartet, John Eustace. John, we want to start by talking about uh, probably the strangest goal we've seen at Watford, and it isn't the ghost goal. When you're playing for Derby yes. and you scored a goal, you celebrated with the biggest grin in your face Absolutely. I've ever seen. It was a weird game because it meant nothing. Yeah. So why, why the big grin? Well, it meant a lot to me. Obviously, you know, <laughs> Brendan came in and sent me on loan virtually straight away, you know, and uh, I was fortunate Derby took me, Nigel Clough, and, um, you know, even for Brendan to allow me to play in the game, I thought, right, I want to try and... <laughs> <laughs> you know, at least do something, anything like you know. So uh, to score the goal was was great, and um, you know it was it was more for for myself satisfaction really than anything else. And uh, no, it was it was good. And um, you know coming back at the end of that for the following season with Brendan leaving, it was you know it made it even better because you know I wanted to be at the club, so it was good. Well, you broke our hearts, John, anyway, seeing that big grin, yeah. having scored against us. Um, but what was that like, being sent straight out? You know, we'd had a tough season and a bit, I think, uh, before he came in. Um, and obviously he came in with, with his new ideas and whatnot. And, you know, he's an unbelievable coach and manager. So it's all part of football. And it was upsetting because I still thought I had a, a point to prove, you know, because uh, I don't think the start was was that good for different reasons and it was disappointing but as I say I went out on loan under Nigel Clough who's a great manager and gave me an opportunity to play as soon as I had a chance of coming back especially under Malky you know I couldn't wait to get going again Okay so we've managed to avoid the angle for a couple of questions we're going to have to get on to it Um, Adam who's on stage introducing, uh, introducing the show right now he said to us in the past about 
wanting to do something to actually try and strike it from the records does it still bother you that much and what did it feel like at the time as well when it actually happened well, it doesn't bother me that much I mean I didn't score that many goals so I don't mind having it on my, <laughs> on my record you know but uh, no I mean I mean, now when it when it happened it was unbelievable you know I thought we got away with a goal kick to be fair you know I knew it'd come off my knee and it'd gone out for a corner and when the referee had kind of everyone was running back I thought well we've got a, we've got a, a goal kick here happy days you've got away for it and then and then suddenly all hell broke loose, you know, we didn't know what was going on and and to, to obviously see that he'd given a goal, it was it was crazy. It was crazy. But if I'm gonna be famous for playing for Watford, then yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> the, thing, the thing that really annoyed me about that goal was the way the Reading players didn't some of them celebrated, I think it was one of the Hunt boys was celebrating yeah, that's saying it's it. oh, come on fellas and you and we've seen we've seen games replayed, was it Sheffield United where they and yeah. um, how do you feel about your fellow pros when they're not saying ref? Come on, you're going to see this at half time, you're going to yeah. see it at the end. This is the worst decision. No, did, did you not think that Reading should have said something? Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, to be fair, the referee doesn't see it. It's, you know, what can you do? I mean, he's, he's staring right at it when you watch it back. So, you know, there's absolutely no excuse. Do you know what I mean? If the referee's going to give it, then I suppose the rest of the lads are thinking, but I mean, how you must be crackers. So, you know, it's, it's one of them things. And, you know, it's, it, it goes down in the history books as one of them ghost goals. So, you know, we get on with it now. And I, I mean, the most disappointing thing I, I was disappointed about was I gave away the, the penalty for them, I think, to to win. So, it, it, you know, that was that's the one thing I take from the game, you know. So, uh, yeah, bad day all round. Really. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to have to forgive me, John. This is a bit like a teenage girl beating, meeting Justin Bieber for me. You were <laughs> absolutely loved watching you play for Watford. You could probably tell I'm a bit flustered, getting a bit nervous. But I was on the way here. I was trying to work out why I thought you were such a good player. Obviously, you're handsome, amazing teeth, your quality. But what I felt was, as captain... I felt when we were, when you were captain on the pitch, it felt like Watford were never going to get bullied, apart from yeah. the ghost goal, obviously. <laughs> it always felt that you were having a little word with the ref, you were talking to your fellow players. Your role as captain is almost the most complete. Mm. You, you felt like it, it felt to me like you took it really seriously. Is that is that a fair? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, when I came back um, from being on loan to Derby, I think playing under Malky and um, and Daishi, you know, it really felt like home and I felt a responsibility of being one of the older lads, you know, a lot of young lads around, got on really well with the fans, you know, and the, the club, you know, I really took to the club and, you know, I felt a, a huge responsibility of, of helping the new managing team, you know, the two young managers coming in and, and the young players. So, you know, I enjoyed the role that I was given. And you did, and would you do that? You'd have a little word because it looked to me that you'd be patrolling around the party, be having a word with the ref. Did you see that? Is that is that part of the captain's role? And can players get away with that as much these days? Do you think? Yeah, well, they should do. They should do it. You know, it's 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 just managing the game and and being respectful. And you know, you're right that you probably don't see as many people doing it now. But you know, I had a responsibility to the club. I think I'd come in um, initially to to help the club get promoted, and it it, it didn't work. And as I say. I, when I came back, I felt I had a point to prove, and um, you know the the, the last three years um, were three of the best years of my career, really. You know, although the the, the end under Gianfranco, I had a serious back injury and I didn't play. You know, I still loved seeing how the club was uh, involved. You know, getting better and bigger, and and the the financial. Uh, stuff the better players coming in you know it's exciting and I was desperately wanted to be a part of it you know so unfortunately for injury I wasn't but um, you know from when I came in you saw the club won a high then they went you know really rock bottom and then when I left they were on the way back up again and you know it was a, it was a nice way to leave obviously Gianfranco and the club offered me a, a coaching role but at uh, 30, um, 33 you know, although I hadn't played for that season, I, the last I think eight weeks, I'd just come back from my injury, and I started to feel a little bit my, like my old self again. And I thought, no, I want to try and carry on playing, and uh, fortunately, went back to Derby under Nigel and, and had two really, really good years. And uh, I think what was nice was actually Gianfranco said in a couple of TV interviews after he said one of the regrets that he had was was not offering me a player a player coach role. You know, so. Um, you know that was nice for him to say that because he didn't need to say it. But yeah, I don't think many people thought I'd, I'd play again, really. So um, no, it's listen. My time at the club was fantastic. I loved every minute of it, and uh, it's a club very close to my heart for sure. There's a couple of players uh, still at the club uh, from when you, from your time, mm-hmm. uh, Troy uh, and Adrian Mariapa. How do you look at those boys now, especially Troy? I think with everything he sort of he went through, we've you know we had a. About four years ago, just before we got promoted, we we took him out to dinner for a podcast, and we interviewed it. And he's a man who's certainly 
been through it and he's out the other side. But when you look at him and even you know Adrian, mm-hmm. is there a little bit of a, a proud older brother in you? 100%. I'm ever so proud of him, especially Troy. You know, he's, I remember him coming in from Warsaw. Uh, I think his first game was Norwich, mm. Norwich away. Uh, you know, and I remember him coming in. You know, big Troy bowling in. You know, even then he was very confident. You know, uh, thinking he was the best player in the blooming world. Like you know, but uh, it, the way he's he's taken his career is fantastic, and he deserves everything he gets because he's a true leader. And you know, I know he loves the club, and um, you know the way I I've watched his career closely since I've left as well, and. You know, he's different class and, and he's one of the, the main reasons why the club have done so well because although you've got a lot of foreign players coming in and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, he's still the heartbeat and he makes sure everything, you know, goes goes well and, and with the same as Adrian, you know, I'm ever so proud of proud of him as well. You know, he's he's been different class. He was a he was a leader when he was younger when I was playing with him and he always wanted to listen. Uh, and learn and you know take the responsibility of being a senior player although he was your young boy and uh, you know just, you know, as I say I'm proud of both of them a couple of weeks ago when we played uh, them in the cup it was great to see them and it was also great to see Clevers as well cleverly yeah. you know I mean there's three big players from when we were in trouble five or six years ago and, and to be playing in the Premier League and, and being part of a fantastic squad is full credit to them What was it like seeing Watford you know as a manager at QPR knowing that you know coming facing Watford were, were we what you expected? Yeah, because I've been watching, you know, your progress and very, very good team. You know, obviously you've got a top manager there, and and as I say, I, I mean, I played with Will Hughes for two seasons at um, Derby as well. And he's a Premier League player without a shadow of that, and uh, you know, I was really pleased to see him. You know, uh, patrolling around the pitch, you know, as if he owned it as well. He's a top player, and you know, the players you've got there at the club are a different class and you know I expected a very very classy team and you know certainly saw that even in a FA Cup you know game where lots of Premier League clubs don't sort of put their their full into them yeah definitely but you you know you got Clevers you got uh, Hughes you got um, Troy you know, you got maps coming off the bench. You got a very good manager. You know, you're flying in the league. You know, there's there's a real good chance you can win the cup uh, this year. And you know, I certainly hope you do. And there's no way you could have took the the game lightly. You know, I know a lot of Premier League clubs do, but you know, it's a great chance for Watford to 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 grow and get bigger and better and to win the cup. What a fantastic achievement that could be. So, if you were assistant manager at Watford at the moment, how would you make sure a we win the cup and b we qualify for Europe? Over to you, John. Uh, yeah, uh, question. <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, you just—I mean, just keep going, keep doing what you're doing. You know, I, I think you've only lost three or four games this—you know—since the turn of this, the year, and they've been against all the top teams. And you know, no, there's no holding back. Just keep doing what you're doing, and you know, keep working together. You can see there's a fantastic team spirit there. I mean, when you know, in the, behind the scenes, on, uh, when we played during the cup, and they took over the bloody dressing room. You could couldn't hear yourself talking. The music was pumping. You could see there's a real good vibe in the, in the camp. You know, so just keep doing what they're doing. And just to, just to go back to your your Watford career, just talking here, just for the last five minutes, you realise there have been some real ups and downs. If you had to, perhaps the low light was being sent sent out on loan. But have you got a, a real high point, something that you you remember fondly as a, as a Watford player? Do you know what? The whole time was I remember really fondly. You know, uh, the whole time, even going out on loan, it, it might have been a good thing. It made me realise that I wanted to come back, and as I say, I wanted to prove a point. And everything happens for a reason. And um, no, I got some, lots of highs, really. Not no lows. The only low really was being injured in that final season. You know, because I was desperately wanted to be part of kind of the new kind of breed coming through, and you know, having a good go. I mean, that season uh, that we lost to Crystal Palace in the in the playoff final, you know, the football they played that season was fantastic. You know, really, really entertaining, great on the transitions, on the break. And, uh, you know, I was very envious being on the side, thinking, oh, I wish I could be part of it, you know. So uh, that would be the only low, really. But, you know, even even then, seeing the club um, grow, it was still a good season, really. And uh, for, for your future as well then, so you've had a go at being a manager, now yeah. an assistant manager, as we've talked about. Do you fancy getting back into being a, into being the, the main man, the manager of a, of a side one day? 
Yeah, for sure. You know, I, was, I had to retire for a knee injury at 35, um, and I was very fortunate to be offered a, a job at Kidderminster as the manager in a full-time environment. So it was exactly the same kind of um, situation as being at QPR. You know, obviously the finances are better and and the equipment are better and all that kind of stuff. But it was, you know, it was still a big responsibility for myself, and um, you know, I enjoyed it. We we developed a lot of players over the two years. We were fairly successful, finishing second and fourth. Yeah, it gave me a, a real hunger to. To, to be a manager and then obviously at the end of the season Steve got the QPR job and offered me the assistant manager's role and I, th- I just felt you know for the for the development of my career it was, a, it was a real good move for it for me you know so something that I wanted to do and we went for it a podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans this is from the rookery end. A medley of midfielders there. Love a bit of alliteration. Mike, fantastic. Lovely four very different interviews. Yeah, really different, wasn't it? And just going through the through the ages and all of them, as always always the case, I don't think it's I don't think they're paying lip service to it, but all had really fond memories of, of Watford, didn't they? And Callie obviously had those amazing years. It's ridiculous to think about what he achieved at Watford semi-final, into Euro- uh, cup final, into Europe. Those massive wins, the comeback against Southampton and, and, and Sunderland. But just hugely rewarding to talk to these guys. Just the fond memories of, of Watford Football Club. And it feels like, and I know they have to say it to a degree, they enjoyed playing for Watford as much as we enjoyed watching them and I think that's why I always come away from these things feeling getting that little warm glow inside but yeah really interesting everyone gave a little a slightly different sort of view as to what it's like behind that behind the Vicarage Road curtain really uh, interesting really exciting and entertaining Out of the four gentlemen we've just spoken to um, uh, Jason is anyone that sort of uh, stood out for you or surprised you? I don't think so I think they're all like I say all from sort of different times um, and and it was good to listen to all four of them I, I, as you always point out I'm quite an old man and I've been lucky enough to see all four of them play so it was I think equally as interesting to hear from from Cali as it was from uh, from the other three so it, it, yeah, I, I enjoyed it the, the, I guess the, um, the story from Micah was uh, was quite good fun you, you, some players maybe less than others uh, are, are willing to give up such information so um, so yeah big, big up Micah for Giving us that little exclusive for the yeah. podcast. And interesting, I thought, dear, from Hesterton as well, admitting that he was a bit hasty with the... And he, and he kind of said, they offered me this amount of money and I just flicked it back. I said it was a flat no, wasn't it? And I don't think he's, it was quite, I thought, brave of him, I guess, to be, to be honest and say he was a bit hasty. The one thing I'm cross that I didn't ask Andy Hessenthal about was what it was like to wear that TV interference kit. Because <laughs> that was that era, wasn't it? The Blaupunkt uh, shirt. So whether, what they, maybe we must try and find him and ask him uh, without the mic, but what the players thought when they saw that away kit for the first time. Ridiculous, <laughs> wasn't it? Uh, we're going to uh, catch up with uh, the man who's on stage with these four men and uh, if you came to the evening uh, you know, you probably got far far more than uh, our little uh, chat that we had but if you went at the, at the night uh, Adam always gives us this uh, sort of backstage access to speak to the, the players so you get a feel of the event and, and, and not everyone misses out but of course the event's coming up and we'll find out a bit about the uh, Northern Ireland special that Adam's doing in a few weeks so let's go and find him post event so, uh, Adam, we stand here in your bedsit, yes. uh, as we've called it, uh, mm. at Watford Palace Theatre, uh, yeah. and we've just finished another Tales from the Vicarage. It was a cracker. It was one of the crackers. It was a, a what a lovely collection of men yeah. and of, of from Watford's history. Yeah, and it was a, it was a sort of a different mix because obviously the sort of the background to why it was who it was is that John couldn't come to one of the previous ones, Andy couldn't come to one of the previous ones, and we wanted to ensure that they were able to have their time here. Nigel was someone that, you know, hadn't had a chapter written about him, but he'd featured at so many different times, obviously, you know, Rocket Men and other chapters in other in other books that I just thought, we, we need to have Nigel Callahan on. It's, you know, this is this is a, it's a no-brainer. And he, he delivered, and it was fantastic. And then Micah, who'd featured in Volume 3, um, was another one that we just hadn't we hadn't nailed down and we hadn't hadn't got him to an event and it was a it was a an eclectic mix wasn't it and um, it was great it was great to have them all there and I think that they the thing that I always find with all of them is they love coming back and they love hearing the stories from other players because it sort of reaffirms to them how special a club Watford 
is mm. because they can see how much it means to other people as well. So, mm. yeah, no, it was really good. Well, so, as John said, we seem to be standing in someone's living room. Can you actually explain the set for those that yes. weren't lucky enough to be here tonight? Now, I could tell you the truth, which would be... <laughs> Boring. We, um, you know, we are in the midst of a show which is going on here at uh, the Watford Palace Theatre, which is a sort of a long-running show. And we had to be in a room like this with 70s wallpaper and stuff. I could tell you that, but I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> I'm going to tell you we had this specially built retro room with uh, all this Watford memorabilia uh, to just basically take you into what my fantasy room uh, would be like. But to be honest, looking around, and we're, we're now sort of at the end of the show and we're seeing it being dismantled. It's, it's, it's really heartbreaking, actually, to see, see my lovely my lovely place being uh, torn apart. But all the stuff that's on the walls, you know, bar the special canvases that we had uh, made, which are all, bar none, all the all the guys that were on, on stage, yeah, I'm having that, I want that, I want that, I want it in my house, because they're, really, they're all really good. Um, but all the stuff, you know, from the, the scarves, to the hats hanging up, to the boots, to the, the goalkeeping wallet, which I used to use, I opened it up the other day, and it stank to high heaven. <laughs> Those gloves were still sort of stuck together from what, you know, 25 years ago or whatever it is. But yeah, it's all my, it's all my stuff and I brought it all with me. It's like uh, going on Antiques Roadshow and no one making any offers for anything that I've got. <laughs> Do they not feel like, I always feel like now I'm a fully grown man, I don't have my own room. I'm like, I want a room yes. where I can put my things on the wall yes. and like yes. my rubbish posters. And this is what this room really feels like. <laughs> like no one in the world would want to live in this room apart from us who are yes. really good Watford fans. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can't be good Watford fans because the picture of John Eustace is on its side. A picture of John Eustace should never, ever <laughs> be just propped up. Yeah. It should be pride of place. And that's what I wanted to ask you, Adam. You, and you did make reference to it on stage that a lot of people, me included, I probably fell hardest of, of everything everyone for for John Eustace I think he's he's absolutely magnificent and it's unhealthy my, let's call it a respect for uh, a love respect um for, for John Eustace but you said you've done 12 now mm. in your line of work you get to meet the occasional sportsman you're not you're not um it's not a new thing for you but you're a Watford fan of course first and foremost so do you ever sort of sit here and think I'm face to face with and with four people, four Watford players. Um, I mean, a lot of things for a lot of people. They've you know, Michael Hyde at Wembley, Hessenthaler was was there, and and Eustace is obviously well loved, and, and obviously Callahan has, you know, he listed he, when we spoke to him, he listed it just very nonchalantly. He played in Europe, got to the FA Cup. Yeah. It's like, geez, yeah. do you get an opportunity? Do you still feel that dude sitting opposite these guys and thinking, I I love these guys? Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think you know it doesn't necessarily always happen with with the, the big guns. It won't necessarily only happen with, you know, a Luther Blissett or a, or a John Barnes or, you know, some of the other guys that we've had on, on stage. T tonight, it was sitting there with Andy Hessenthaler. I just thought it was just, it, it actually just sort of took me back to thinking, right, looking at these programmes, I would be stood or, you know, stood in the family terrace or, you know, sat in the Vicarage Road end or wh wherever I was watching this guy running and 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 then he went off and that was it and that was the end of the game and I used to just love love his passion and just who he was and he looked pretty much exactly the same as he did then you know just sort of out of granite and I just I do have moments when I think I'm in a very very privileged position and and but also what I hope is and the whole point of these things is to allow fans to come and see them but also for them to meet them as well and to, to get an opportunity to reconnect with, with some of the people that they will have idolised as much as I did. So Four different, very distinct eras they were in. Yeah. Cool stuff kind of happened in all of those eras, didn't it? And I, I was trying to think whether, oh, do we make it up that we're lucky to be Watford supporters? But it just does, felt like almost four decades you could divide it into and, they were, and there was some fun stuff happened in all of them, didn't it? Yeah, but it's, it's not necessarily the, the, the huge successes that are the best bits because if you think you know the testing times you know when Andy Hessenthaler was at the club not much was going on really in terms of anything positive in terms of promotions there was relegations but there wasn't a, a sort of a period of time when we were you know tearing up trees and going up and enjoying highs it was I'll it tell was, you what there was though there was the TV interference kit <laughs> oh yes yeah 
Was that the gr- like the green and no, blue, no, no. blue? Oh, the white. blue. Oh, the fuzzy screen one. So, oh, so, of so course. Say, so nothing, not much was going <laughs> on. <laughs> no. Right, come on. That's true. Yeah. No, sorry. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I got I got sort of sidetracked by the maroon and green thing <laughs> that we had. Oh, hideous thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be that you are in a you know a period of success for it to mean a lot. And I think that if you look at Andy Hessenthaler's time, not a great deal was was happening. But you look back at wonderful moments like that comeback even though he couldn't remember it but that game against Bolton I will you know it, it was amazing I, I remember that you know the Bolton players you know John McGinley uh, Andy Walker was there the little dude on the wing Little was it Little I think it was called uh, Little uh, isn't he? I was Lee, called Lee, uh, Little Lee yeah Little Lee yeah was it is it Lee? David Lee or David I, Lee? I, I, I anyway I don't care I remember I remember I remember that you know I remember Lee, no, what, Lee, well, yeah, no, playing for Bolton, playing for Bolton. But Lee Nogan as well. What, what, that's the, got to be the next show, the Lee Nogan show. <laughs> I love Lee Nogan. Um, but yeah, I, you know, they were just, they were magic moments. And it's in the same way as, you know, you talk about amazing goals, like the Dini goal and things like that. Comebacks and just moments where you will always remember where you were. And seeing Gary Porter score a hat-trick and it come out of nowhere because we were dead to the world, nothing was happening. And you know they were. That was a that was a great moment. And I, I don't really know where I'm going with it, but it was it was. Things don't necessarily have to be marked with trophies or success to be magical moments. And there you go. That's what. Yeah, that's what tonight proves. We'll use it. We'll use it yeah. Now, how's your Northern Irish accent? Is it as good as mine? <laughs> next up. <laughs> how are you? Uh, no. Um, uh, next up. Uh, is it two weeks? Three weeks? How long is it? Two weeks? No. Three weeks. Three weeks. Big game. Oh, it's two weeks. Yeah, big game in two weeks' time. Um, uh, a Northern Ireland special with yes. uh, that's going to be. Ooh, <laughs> that could be. It could be epic. What, it I, could be um, like some of those. Some of those men have done a lot. Of, a lot. They've done a lot, and they haven't necessarily done um, everything that they will chart as their most successful moments at Watford. No. But you know, I, I had the opportunity via Jerry Armstrong, who's been really, really helpful, actually, to to get to um, Pat Jennings. And I thought, oh, that's that would be amazing. Because, you know, he was a, he was a kid when he joined mm. and he only had one season at the club. But everyone who saw him play were like, this is he's like amazing. He's, he's the best goalkeeper we've ever seen. And, it, and it, I think that was it sort of tore a few people apart that he had to leave. And, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll go into the story about how he left and why he left. And, you know, he obviously went on to greater things with Tottenham and Arsenal and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it's going to be great to have him in, in a way also, because he's going to be the first player that we will have had at one of these events that played in the 60s. Yeah. And we've never had that. So to get an insight into what Watford was like then will be, will be fascinating. Um, obviously, you know, it was mentioned on stage tonight, the fact that Jerry Armstrong and Pat Rice came, came along at a similar time, made a big impact, had a big influence on the, on the club. Uh, John McLennan, who's been at a previous event before, but I, it's just going to be great to see how the dynamic works between the four of them. And I suspect I'm probably not going to get a word in edgeways, <laughs> but just to see them bouncing off at each other. But also... They will all have a view on on Watford. Doesn't matter if they had success at Arsenal or Tottenham or wherever. It played a big part in their careers, and uh, yeah, I'm 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 fascinated to see how it all pans out. I don't know what room I'm going to do though. <laughs> I don't. I, I, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see a how cave. It's dr- well, I don't know. What, <laughs> Is there any pantomime uh, sets around the back which we could we could bring out? Maybe a, a yeah. grotto or uh, or in a, a, a king's palace. Who knows. <laughs> Come along and find out what the uh, stage is going to be on uh, April the 18th for our Watford and Northern Ireland Tales from the Vicarage live special. It should be a should be a belter. I was just about to do an accent then, but I didn't because I thought I thought that'd be irresponsible. Yeah. If I wanted a ticket, what could I do? Uh, you could uh, go online to watfordpalacetheatre.co.uk or you could call 01923-225-671 and. Uh, Call the box office. And also, if you're passing, if you're in Watford, you can come into the box office yourself and uh, come and pick up a ticket. So, yeah, it'd be great to see you. Another fantastic. Also, obviously, it is during the Easter holidays, so it might be difficult for some people. But if you're working and you're not lucky to be on Easter holidays, it is Thursday before Good Friday. 
Good Friday, no one works. So Thursday night, it's party night, <laughs> and we're going to be here at Watford Palace Theatre. So I'll see you then. <laughs>